Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, should people who can't afford pets have pets? And what is our responsibility as veterinary professionals? This is going to be a hot topic. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we are going to attempt to tackle one of the hottest and most contentious and most painful topics we deal with, and that is what to do when somebody can't afford care for their pet. What about homeless people with pets? What about people who can't even pay for a vaccine? I don't know that we're going to have all the answers, but we are certainly going to have fun discussing it. As always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, let's just jump into it. I mean, of all of the things we talk about as veterinary professionals, perhaps the most controversial is this simple question. Should people who can't afford to properly care for their pet have a pet? (laughs) Cindy. Yeah, I- and you know, what's so interesting is what couple things come to mind to me immediately. So one is I do think that there's been a big change over time with the utilization of veterinary services. And correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I, I really do believe that there are more people using veterinary services than ever before. So I think there used to be in the past just a ton of people who had pets who, who didn't pursue veterinary services at all. Um, that weren't necessarily vaccinating pets, that if, you know, again, the, the folks who come in and say, you know, my pets, they just seem to be healthy forever, and then one day they just died. And people just didn't recognize or understand or know what was happening to their pets, and so they didn't think that they were were ill, or they just thought these pets were animals and they they didn't necessarily take them into the veterinarian because that, that wasn't part of their standard of care. So I, I get intrigued by this idea of, are our expectations of what people should be doing for their animals shifting as well. Wow. And Cindy, you know, you've, you've already tapped into a couple of really important changes in my career over 30 years nearly. And that is number one, we are seeing more people with access to veterinary care than ever before. And this is simply a byproduct of there's more vets, there's more vet clinics. So now suddenly there's access and they're taking advantage of it. And then there has been a societal shift in the role that pets play in our lives. Because, you know, we always joke about, you know, from the backyard to the bedroom to the bed, you know, but that's a real shift. And today pets are viewed differently than ever before. So Becky, again, you know, we're just now getting into the, the, the sticky parts of it, but with access to veterinary care and with more people valuing the relationship they have with pets, you know, we now are are caught in a little bit of a conundrum, right? Because it's not that everybody can afford what we're actually able to provide. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I think about it um, in terms of people who can barely afford to pay for their own health care. And I think we have to be realistic in looking at things from different people's points of view. Um, we prioritize healthcare differently for pets, obviously, right? Because we're in the industry. But I, I think about people who have never actually been to the dentist or, you know, have only had healthcare at the emergency room because that's the only place they ever could get it. And and how do we ask them to prioritize for, for something that may be financially taking away from their household? Right. And and this this is where it gets tough for us as professionals. I mean, we are all credentialed, licensed 
veterinary professionals. And so we have certain standards of care, certain guidelines that we abide by. But Cindy, is it fair, right, to impose our standards of care on a pet-owning public who maybe has a very different idea of what veterinary care is all about? Yeah, and I wonder, too, if what we think of as our standard of care is always even necessarily best for the pets. Because two two major things come to mind for me. So one, the fact that still in this country, millions of pets are euthanized. And so while certainly I think that we don't want pets getting abused, we don't want pets getting neglected, that there are still plenty of animals that maybe aren't going to the vet every year to get vaccinations, that are maybe having shorter lives than we wish they would have. But they're still having lives and they're still having longer lives than they would have if they were dropped off at a shelter and put to sleep. And if we're going to decry this crisis of euthanasia of animals at the same time that we're saying, you know, hey, if you can't do X, Y, and Z for your pet, you might as well just give them up and and not even be their owner. It it seems a little disingenuous. The second thing is I, I had a kind of revelation when it came to a a wonderful organization called Pets of the Homeless, which is a charity that helps provide care for those who who do have pets who are homeless. And and I think that's going to be a topic that we expand on, hopefully, in, in another podcast as well. But thinking of quality of life just doesn't come to the material things that we can provide for our pets. So it doesn't just come down to, okay, well, you were able to give them vaccinations. You were able to give them food. It also comes down to that environmental enrichment, right? And people who are homeless, who are able to spend all day with their pets, are those pets maybe getting better environmental enrichment than some of those pets of folks who are working 10, 12-hour days that aren't able to see their pets very much at all? And I, you know, I love so much that you bring that up, Dr. Cindy, because I think that that is a lot of what we really need to think about. And there are more and more organizations um, popping up that are are helping offset the costs of pet care for the homeless, for veterans, for people in need, uh, for seniors, for people who can't get out and about. So I think that it's one of these things where we can almost look to society where there are surpluses to fill in the gaps for the people who find love and hope in their pets. And we can find ways to help and support that community without it coming out of necessarily our in our pocket directly at the clinic in a in a one-on-one way. So I think it's a great, you know, third party to help us give back from the clinic standpoint, but in a larger means. Right. And let's get back to those medical standards. Uh, This reminds me, I I did a piece a couple of years ago in Vetted Magazine, one of the veterinary magazines. And it it was supposed to be this thing where they wanted me to be judging or negatively viewing people who only came to the vet for a rabies vaccine. And instead, I was like, no, I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm very happy to see those people. I don't judge them at all, right? Because, you know, I don't, there may be a lot more to it, but I think too long, Cindy, as veterinarians, we've, we've simply said things like this. They must not care for their pet very much because they never go to the vet. They don't do all the blood tests. They don't do all the this or that, right? And so what I was saying in my little article was I said, look, be grateful that they actually allow you to participate in the care of the pet. Now, I know a rabies vaccine, I would think, is the minimum standard if you're going to own a pet in the United States. Done. If you don't do that, you and I got some problems. But, you know, 
what about this judging, right? So Cindy, we put up these arbitrary things and every vet may have a different metric, right? Well, you must not love your pet that much because you never did senior blood care or blood test or, or whatever. I mean, where are those lines? And is that not part of the problem? Yeah. And one thing that that is kind of a soapbox I stand on is we have kind of these obligations as veterinary professionals, right? One of them is that we need to uphold our standards of care. And, and I just want to remind everyone that's one to, to yes, um, provide standard of care, but we also, it's about offering the standard of care. There is not necessarily an obligation to, to take the client and to strong arm them and to guilt them and judge them into accepting the standard of care that we offer them. But the other obligation that we have is to protect the public health. And I do worry sometimes if we are guilting and judging clients, if we are driving them away from the veterinary clinic um, and driving them to Dr. Google, driving them to fake veterinarians, driving them to the advice of their friends and family online, if we are compromising our obligation to public health, because maybe then they aren't getting that rabies vaccine. Maybe they aren't getting regular fecal checks so that, you know, we're putting the health of children in the neighborhood at risk because they are getting exposed to parasites. So I would encourage our colleagues to to think about that balance and to um, maybe consider how we can can do both um, without necessarily leaving our clients feeling judged. Yeah. And I think that that is is where it becomes important for us to be aware of the other means. So, you know, um, we all kind of go to one financial institution. You know, we almost everyone offers and accepts and takes care credit. But what are the other options out there other than care credit? And does it fall back on the veterinary industry? Does it fall back on us as our responsibility to have multiple means to help our clients find those resources? Right. And this is where it gets really thorny, Becky, because I, I am 100% agreement with this. Because see, the veterinary profession, me, you, Cindy, we are, it's not our responsibility or obligation to subsidize financially the right. care of these pets, which is what Cindy said that we need to reemphasize. And that is, hey, we can offer, but it's not really our responsibility to strong arm them into doing this. And so, we don't make peace with that as a profession. We struggle with this constantly. And this is why we tend to give things away and not charge and discount and so forth. Because in many, many instances, you know, we are, are taking the control away from the, the pet owner and we are now transferring the financial responsibility to us. So Cindy, again, aside, I want to get into some of the specifics of care credit and delayed payments and all that sort of stuff and insurance. But, you know, what about this guilt that veterinarians have that then we say, you know what, I'll just, I'll pay for it. Yeah. And you know what, what gets me sometimes is this wonder and this feeling about um, people who work in service professions and how there's kind of a, a split and a divide. So we have doctors, we have police officers, we have firemen, we have, and, and certainly you know, I don't want to say that saving animal lives is at the same bar as saving human lives, but I mean, we are in a service profession. We are trying to help people and pets by doing the work that we do. And, you know, certainly no one is going to doctors saying, hey, we expect you to do your job for free for everyone. Um, we're certainly not asking police officers to do their job for free. But if we ultimately decide that something is a public good, a lot of times the government does get involved in helping perform that service. Um, I think another thing that's interesting is there are trends in some of these helping professions where positions that were previously seen as heroic, 
where people were given thanks for doing the positions uh, and, and for the, the helping work that they do, it's now transitioning to an expectation. Um, right. And we're no longer getting the kind of thanks that people were getting in the past. Um, and, and, and I think that's problematic. And I think as a, a society, we need to grapple with the fact that, you know, especially if these positions are not getting the financial remuneration that they used to in the past, that a lot of, of folks are looking to get just paid in appreciation. And, and we will probably pay a cost as a society if we fail to provide that. Yeah. And Cindy, that is so brilliant. And this is exactly what, I mean, I think we've all probably lectured and written on this exact topic over the years. The problem with it is you're right. The public now expects if you're a veterinarian, if you're a veterinary technician, you don't do it for money. So why are you charging me at this moment? My dog needs chemotherapy. If you really loved animals, you wouldn't charge me for it or you do it for 50 bucks or whatever. So they leverage that guilt. It has become an expectation. And as a profession, we are really, really struggling with this. And so, you know, again, as we, as we keep exploring this topic, Cindy, I really want us to, to make sure that we say, okay, are there other ways to provide care for pets at a lower cost or somehow? Because here's what I think. I believe that owning a pet enriches and enhances your well-being and your life. Absolutely. I know from the studies that it will probably keep you healthier. I mean, aside from it getting rabies or something, you know what I'm saying? So I believe that society should start to value. And, you know, I think we need to start to figure out, are there other ways that the public trust can, you know, help us as well? I'm not advocating for taxpaying dollars to be used for us at this point. I'm just simply saying, you know, is as a society, are we viewing this as this actually helps people much like stopping smoking, right? Or exercising more or eating healthier, right? Are pets going to fall into that category? And if so, what's our role there? Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And, and I think, again, especially if you're in a lower income bracket, you know, if a pet is there to provide you social support that you might not be getting otherwise, especially if you're in an abusive relationship, wouldn't we rather people be able to count on a pet rather than turning to things like um, abusive substances or an abusive relationship? Wouldn't we rather have people turn to a pet than to alcohol? Um, I, I think that's something we need to consider as well. Well, and that's, in, you know, a, a really significant point because what we know, too, of, of people who have thought about suicide or have had suicidal thoughts, they have oftentimes reached back to say that their pet is one thing that kept them going is the responsibility of having that pet there. And that was that was something that meant a lot to them. One thing that I had growing up through school, and, and you know, I don't know if Dr. Arnie, this is something you've offered in your practice or a way of thinking, but I had a professor who who told me, you know, there's three ways of doing it, everything. And, you know, we can do the best, we can do good, and we can do okay, but we can always do something. And so can we have multiple treatment plans or multiple options that make it affordable for everybody? And, and again, I think that does in some aspects, fall back as a responsibility for us as the veterinary practice because people don't know to ask for that. They don't know to ask for better or worse or what their other options are. Right. And I remember writing uh, articles 20 years ago on this very topic. It's like, what do you do when that client rushes in with an emergency and they have no money? And, you know, I used to always say, just like your professor said, Becky, well, there's always something you can do. It doesn't mean that you go rush them into surgery and spend $1,500, but you can stop the bleeding. You can offer pain management. You can do a lot of things that are 
relatively inexpensive until you can sort of assess the situation instead of just rushing and doing, you know, blood tests and whatever, right? I mean, so, so I think that that's part of that doctor guilt, that veterinarian guilt that we harbor. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think as a profession, this is one of those areas we really don't talk about enough. We certainly don't talk about it in school. But one, one quick little anecdote that, that impacted the way I view this many, many years ago, early in my career. I live in an area, a very, very rural part of North Carolina, and we have a lot of migrant workers. And I will tell you, these are people that are undocumented. And years and years ago, we had a family and they were a transient type of, of work family. And they had a little bitty dog, a little chihuahua as it were. And, um, and it was very sick. It had heart failure. And in comes the family. They speak very little English. And there's a little girl. I mean, this girl is like seven, eight years of age. And I could tell that this was what was keeping this girl going, you know, because she's got a tough life. I mean, we cannot imagine, you know, that type of, I can't, I can't imagine that kind of, of lifestyle, that, that life. And yet, you know, as a veterinarian, there was only so, so much I could do, especially given the limited funds. And, and we did everything. I mean, we gave it, you know, medications and we treated the heart disease appropriately. We did not do uh, echo or anything like that. You know, we didn't even do an x-ray in this particular situation. But my point being that, you know, getting back to that, the value that pets have transcends just, you know, this is my best buddy. This is a lifesaver for many people, especially in those lower socioeconomic. And, and you know, Becky mentioned, isn't better, you know, to avoid um, alcoholism. And Cindy was saying, what about abusive? I mean, we as a profession need to understand that, that this is serious. Like, you know, me providing whatever level of care, the okay level of care actually probably impacted this little girl's life. And I have no idea. Never saw them again. No, no clue what was going on, but you could see it in the eyes. You could tell from the body language that this dog, this situation meant a lot. And by golly, I need to do my best. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about innovation a lot. And I think this is an area where that we can try and innovate as well. And I've seen really interesting ways of, of trying to help. Um, I, I practice in a lower income area as well. And just the other day we had a there's definitely a sense of community, a sense of desiring to help one another. And we had a, a woman come in and just say, you know, hey, if there's anyone who needs help, please, please let me know. Um, and, and you would be surprised and shocked how often that happens in our area and in our clinic. Um, and do we have the mechanisms in place for people to do that, to, to facilitate that for people? I think we we forget that it's not just us. We're not the only ones who are compassionate for these animals. A lot of our clients are as well, and we can help um, help facilitate that. Um, and and I see creative programs like uh, Stacy Santi's app, Vet to Pet. Their loyalty program um, not only has like get a free you know free exam once you reach a certain number of stamps, but uh, another reward that they can offer is is charity is. You know, if you reach this certain number of stamps, we're going to give $100 to charity or to research or to, you know, our angel fund or something like that. And, and people value that, too. Well, I think you make a, a super important point there, too, as well, Dr. Cindy. And it's just I think we can get creative. We can find ways to give back. And um, I think the Good Samaritan side of things is so important. You know, the other day there was a post on like a local yard sale website on Facebook and it was just like, I can't afford my pet's vaccines. Can anyone help? And, I, you know, I think so many people are are quick to judge and be, 
wanting to shame her like, well, if you can't afford the vaccines, you're obviously not giving daily or monthly preventatives. And, and what would you do if there was an emergency? And I think we get jaded from our history and, and from our past. But, you know, several people said, what's the name of your veterinarian? I can call and leave money on your account. And, and the people who don't shame and the people who see through that point and say, it's more important that the pet get taken care of. I I can help and kick in. I think there are so many great ways that we can make this work in it for all of our clients. And in like a loyalty program, I think is such a great idea. And we don't see a lot of that out there. And I, I would love to hear from our listeners what they're doing within their practices. What do they have going that is creative and helps their clients? Because I think there's got to be some really neat things happening that a lot of people could benefit from. Yeah, and I think there are, Becky. And I'll tell you, here's where we also want to discuss slightly the dark side of this because we do get taken advantage of. There are scams that are being run out there. There are these quote-unquote pseudo-charities that promise if you donate money that then they distribute those funds to people in need. And that's also a big turnoff. You know, I, I can tell you that that I get really nervous when people say, I'm going to put up a GoFundMe page, you know, or they say, hey, th- have you seen this GoFundMe page? Constantly on my phone. social media people are saying, please, you know, can you put this GoFundMe? And you're like, I'm really afraid to. Like, we live in a world, at least I live in a time when I feel like I can't just do that unless I really know the situation because there are a lot of people who will take advantage of veterinarians, which is getting us back to that that, that thorny part of this issue is, you know, when people come in and say, I can't pay, you know, are they even being truthful, right? I mean, Cindy, they could be taking us for a ride. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that again is is another challenge. And again, why I don't think discounting and just giving away things for free is the right answer. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that when we do that, fundamentally that's going to increase the cost of care for the next person who comes in the door. That's going to make it more difficult for us to pay our team members, you know, often are we're we're not paying enough as is. And so so I think the one thing that is not the right answer is just giving away services for free. Um right. and I think frankly that that trains our team or trains our clients to just ask for things for free, which I, I don't think is is fair either. Um so yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, Cindy, you, you might recall there was a case in Alabama and then Mississippi where a group of veterinarians banded together to fight so-called low-cost vet clinics from moving into their area. Do you guys remember those stories that were popping up? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, and I, and I actually went on the record. I was uh, interviewed for one of those articles, and I was saying, you know, this is absolutely the wrong approach. And, and I still agree with that 100%. It's like, because number one, it looks bad for vets. Like, it's like, come on, people. You really make us look like greedy you-know-whats. But, but, but what I really think is that those are the types of solutions that society deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because we do need to have an option because you and I have both agreed, Cindy, that we just can't give the services. We just can't discount it. I did a prayer for animals 501c3 the second year I owned my first clinic. Right. So we can try to do this on our own. And even that has an impact, but we really need bigger solutions. So I am a strong supporter of this type of of care. Now, should there be limitations? Absolutely. If it's going to be a nonprofit, I think that we do need to sort of rein it in and say, hey, you know, maybe there are some limitations to what you can offer or whatever. Now, that's a different issue altogether. But I like those solutions because that, Cindy, keeps you and I out of some of those more difficult conversations, right? I mean, because here's a here's a level of care. It's, it's like taking your children for their immunizations to your local health center, right? So your county would provide 
vaccines for your child, you know, at a low or no cost, right? Now, we never did that. We took them to our own pediatrician. But you get what I'm saying here, Cindy. I think that serves a very valuable purpose. Not everybody can afford or has insurance or or can pay out of pocket to go to a private doctor. So why not offer these low-cost solutions? I mean, am I... On yeah, base or no, off base. and and I think you know I was talking with with some folks um, just recently, especially Jessica Trishell at Live Oak Bank, who I thought had a really really good insight about some of the new models that are coming out. Especially you know again, I think this is again going to be a topic for a whole other podcast. But that some bigger box pro- bigger box stores like Walmart, CVS are coming out with retail vet clinics or mini vet clinics, right. wellness clinics. Um, But she said, how many of us go get our hair cut at Walmart? You know, so long as there are those of us that aren't taking advantage of that, that still want that customized service, uh, there's still going to be a place for us. And on top of that, when we have to shift gears and we have to help that client who does just want the rabies vaccine, um, I don't know about you guys, but that's a tough appointment for us because often we're trying to approach that appointment like our other ones. And I I think often we're being inefficient for the amount of value that that client is getting, that our the money that our practice is making and versus the amount of time that we're spending that appointment. Yeah. And you know, Cindy, one thing too, that you you said there, I just want to kind of point out, like, I don't even know if I would say they're taking advantage of it because I think it's a whole nother experience, right? I mean, there are people that will go get their hair cut at Walmart simply because, you know, to them, their hair is like, like, I should probably go to Walmart for my haircut because I'm losing my hair, right? But my my point is, that's okay. That's a choice. And this gets back to that whole article, you know, that I wrote a few years ago about pet care shaming. Are we inadvertently shaming these people, right? For going, because look, these retail clinics are a real thing. I mean, there's going to be a thousand of them, you know, at least from one group, you know, this is all the whole pathway Petco. I mean, this is a big deal, but the reality is, um, how are we going to address that? I'm not going to judge those people. I'm just going to say, Hey, I'm glad because they're actually getting their pet cared for at, at some level. And like Becky said, it's okay. It's the okay level. And I'm cool with that. Well, and one thing I think we need to just recognize, and, and I understand, it, I get it, I have never owned a practice and I don't have to worry at the end of the day about paying those bills, but there is room for more. Like there is room for them to be here to take care of the clients who, who frankly are going to take up appointment slots that you, you know, could be giving to clients who want to choose that different level of care. And so rather than taking that appointment time with someone who has to go through that horrible feeling of like, I'm going to get in here and no, I can't afford it why not make it easier for everyone and just appreciate that working together can help each other elevate businesses on both sides. Yeah, Becky, I'm so yeah. glad you said that. You know, we did a corporatization podcast a few weeks back and you you might remember me saying, hey, everybody wanted to vilify Scott Campbell when he started Banfield, PetSmart. And I was like, no, this guy's actually helping us out. And I think the same thing about these retail clinics and this low cost clinics, I think it actually helps the other providers up their game, you know? So, so I've always viewed this as, Hey, this is just an opportunity. Like you said, Becky, then I don't have to waste time with people who want the Walmart haircut. I'm able to focus on the people who want, you know, my haircut. <laughs> yeah. And if they do want our haircut, it, it gives us a standard to compare to, to say, you know, Hey, if you're walking in the door and, and you're saying like, well, that w- ended up giving you a one-year rabies vaccine. But if you're here and we did our full physical exam and this is the standard that we're able to provide you and this is a three-year rabies vaccine because we're 
hanging on to your medical records so we know you've gotten this vaccine multiple years in a row and and this fits the standard of care you know we're we can kind of compare and contrast and show them what we can offer and you know guys what i want to talk about in a future podcast and this is this is a the divide that's about to happen and that is professionally, are we going to judge colleagues who go and do these right. things differently, right? right? right. So, yeah. you know, and, and I don't know, are we going to have to have differential licensure? Like, you know, there's there's been talk the past couple of years, like, should veterinarians who never want to do surgery actually be held to the same standards of those who want to go and do a splenectomy, you know, or, you know, so, so I don't, I don't, ha- I don't believe that, but I'm just saying there's a lot of talk about how can we create additional models, even for licensure. So Cindy, just so you know, there may be, in the future, this subtle movement towards this nurse practitioner, this vet yeah. practitioner, yeah, there's a lot of sort of subtle shifts that are occurring at, at very high levels. So I'm just, again, I think in the future we should have a podcast where we talk about okay, what about the vets who choose to go park themselves in a Walmart in a Petco, and you know they're not going to do anything but vaccinate, maybe look at a few ears. You know, are they a vet? If so. What do we think about them? And even more importantly, are we going to you know, create these divides within our profession that really could be a problem? That, that is absolutely a podcast in itself. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, <laughs> and Becky, it's, it's going to come down to, you know, this is this is your wor- world because the veterinary nurse initiative, as you know, there's a lot of there has been a lot of concern that is this going to begin to give veterinary technicians power and responsibilities beyond what they're currently doing? I think they should. But yeah. again, you know, there. I think as a profession, we've got to, as I've been saying for all of my career, really define what it is we do. Because to date, when you look at, as, as Cindy started out, what is a veterinarian? It's James Harriet model. That is still how we define ourselves. And is it fair in today's age? Again, you know, a lot of questions, very few answers for you in this podcast. <laughs> I, I love how... You know, the the vet technicians, the vet nurses maybe may end up defining what we do by defining what it is that they don't do, which I think is is increasingly interesting. Wow. Well, this conversation could go on and on. I love this type of conversation. And yeah. if you do as listeners, we want to know. I mean, let us know if you like this kind of content because our whole goal here, the reason that we do this, the reason that we take our time away from our family and our practice and our lives is because we want to share these ideas and thoughts with our professional colleagues to spark conversations because we believe we can help change our profession for the better. So again, reach out to us on social media. We want to hear from you. What kind of conversations is this sparking with you and your colleagues? You can reach out to us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. Um, We're also all on Instagram personally, and we'd love for you guys to reach out to us individually as well. Um, But you can find all of us. Probably the easiest way to get to us in the first place is through Veterinary Viewfinder on Instagram as well. Um, We also love getting reviews on the iTunes store. Um, That's the best place to leave us information. And again, One of our reviews came from an undergrad who felt like our podcast was helping them get into the loop on the veterinary world and motivating them to become aware of the issues in the vet world that they otherwise wouldn't come across. So they're recommending the podcast to a lot of their fellow pre-vet friends. So again, just like her, uh, please come back and listen to the podcast every Wednesday. And as Becky always says, don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, we'll keep doing this for free. Bye. 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 Wow, that was excellent.